Dear Lord, there is such power in prayer. We gather together this morning, but let's take a few moments to just further prepare our hearts to take some time to speak to you, just between you and us, and to share those things that are closest on our hearts this morning. Let's take a few moments and just spend some time with you. Almighty and merciful God, we ask that you will receive the prayers that we just have shared with you. We have opened our hearts to you this morning and pray for the wisdom and guidance of your Holy Spirit to lead us during this time of prayer and in other times that we spend in prayer. Show us through our prayers who and what you want us to pray for. May we as one body speak for the people and circumstances that are so important to you. Through our prayers, may we lift up the work that you would have us do to build up your kingdom in this community that we call home. There's so much to be done all around us, Lord, and it's only through the power of prayer, through your Holy Spirit, that we can accomplish what you have for us to do. When we look around us daily and see the need, when we see people whose bodies are afflicted by disease, when we see families who are in turmoil, men and women who are seeking jobs to support their families, and so many who have no peace or joy in their lives, our work is cut out for us. Lord, there is no way we can physically help and care for each of these situations individually. But through the power of prayer, we can be working with your Holy Spirit to reach out in your name. Help us to see the opportunities which are right in front of us to serve others, to build them up and invite them into your kingdom. We pray that this church will be a magnet for those who are seeking you and that together we can be a powerhouse as we reach out in your mighty name. Lord, hear our prayers, those we have spoken silently as well as the ones we have shared together this morning. We do all things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, beginning with verses... 18 through 26. Paul writes this. He says, And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. 
I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again in your boasting in Christ Jesus, will abound on account of me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we believe today that your word will accomplish everything that it intends, and that today as Pastor Mike comes to speak your word, Lord, that our hearts will receive it with joy and gladness, and your will will be done. Father, we pray that Pastor Mike would be filled with your Holy Spirit, that his words would be from you, and that your church would hear them and would receive them. Lord, we believe that you love us and that your word is sent to build us up and to encourage us. May that happen through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, really something cool happened this week. I was preparing for this talk this morning. And, you know, Pastor Keith and I started at the beginning of February uh, teaching you through Philippians. Uh, and that scripture that I read uh, this morning caused me to do this. Here, eyes up. I've got to show you what happened this week. We've been working on this for six weeks. And guess what I did this week in my study? Check this out. Finally turned a page. Finally turned a page in Philippians. We are mowing through this thing. Breakneck speed. No, it's cool. It's, uh, it's fun to be on this ride with you together. Now, I know that it's the day after daylight savings time, and we've certainly noticed that a few people are spring breaking in their mind or on daylight savings time. So here's what I want to do. Before I, before I give my talk, I'm going to give you five things to look for during my talk. So if you start dozing off, you're saying, hey, I got to look for those things. Ready? Here they go. Somewhere during this talk, I'm going to say the name Hugo. Write that down. Somewhere during this talk, I'm going to talk about six flags in Texas. Somewhere during this talk, I'm going to say the word Botox. Okay? Now, now if you've got that many, if you've remembered them all so far, you'll have three little marks on your, on your, three little marks on your, on your sheet uh, when we get to those things. And somewhere along the line, I'm going to talk about going skiing. So that will be your fourth mark. And then at the end, I want you to rehearse in your mind how many slides have appeared on the screen. Okay? So this is like a, a quiz for those of you that are still shaking off some sleep because it's daylight savings time and we all sprung forward and we got to knock some sleep out of our minds. So uh, I don't do that every week if you're new here. And I got to tell you, you know, Keith got, you know, 70, 80% every time. So I'm, you know, pretty good. Uh, so here's where we begin. Uh, years ago, back in the 1930s, 40s, when uh, Jews were being oppressed and, and put into concentration camps by the Nazis in, in Poland and Germany and other places. There were, of course, always all throughout those places, there were families being divided, women pushed this way, men pushed this way. But oftentimes, young men would end up with their, with their fathers working in the concentration camp. And there was a specific young man, he was about a dozen, dozen years old. He wrote about this later in his memoirs because he was one of the few that survived that concentration camp. His name was Hugo. His name was Hugo. And there he was with his father in the concentration camp. And of course, because they were in the concentration camp, they were of the, the Jewish tradition. And they had this, this thick faith 
but yet everything around them was falling down. And, and the Jewish folks only got so many things that they could take with them in the concentration camp. And they only had a few resources, a few foodstuffs and a few uh, things to eat and that sort of thing. And the Jewish high holy day was coming upon them. And Hugo just assumed that all of the men in the camp would just simply let that pass by because they didn't have the resources uh, to do the traditional ceremonies. They didn't have all the prayer books that they needed. As a matter of fact, all he knew for sure was that his father had uh, a prayer book and the yarmulke there, and he just thought, well, we'll just let that go by. But when the day came, long months after they had run out of candles for those that were interred, long after they'd run out of some of the things that kept their cabins warm, the holy day came upon them, and Hugo's father did the most interesting thing. He went into his little, his little cubby, his little locker, where they had just a few things, and he opened it. And he took out this small chunk of margarine that he and Hugo had, and he cut it in half. And he put half of it on a tin. And then he came in front of the assembled group that were huddled in this hut, and he lit it on fire uh, on this tin, and it glowed like a candle, and it filled the whole room with, with its uh, luminous uh, light. And Hugo's father took out his prayer book and began to celebrate the high holy day of their tradition. Later, after all that was over, because Hugo was mortified because all he could see was that part of their foodstuffs were just burning up in, in front of them. And he, he got on their bunk, their little cot that, that he and his father had to share with a number of others. And he said, Father, he says, why did you waste our food like that? And he says, Son, son, we know from science the human body can go 21 days without food, but we can't last three minutes without hope. We all need a reason for living, you see. Every single one of us, you need a re- reason for living. I need a reason for living. And I've got to tell you that that reason for living has to be something that's deep and rich and thick inside of us. Otherwise, it'll just pass right by. And I'll tell you, our reasons for living can't be found in the externals of life, the stuff we have. It, it, it just won't work. We cannot, no matter what we do, keep up with the Joneses. There's a couple of guys, I've known them for a long time, they live here in this town, and they've been trying to keep up with each other forever. They first had what, what they called starter houses, but like I call home, uh, where I live, you know. And they both had starter houses, and one of them said, man, i got to go build a new house. And so he built a kind of a McMansion, and right about six months later, and I'm not kidding you, about six months later, the other one built right across the cul-de-sac from him another little McMansion, okay? Then one had to make this huge addition in the back of their house of a pool and stuff like that. The other one decided to get a big boat, okay? And they're competing back and forth. One of them gets this giant SUV. The other one gets a more giant SUV. And it's going on like this, and I'll tell you what, it never ends. You cannot win that war. If it's in the externals, there's always something bigger, always something more expensive, always something greater. You, you know, if you're in that battle, I got to tell you, Teresa and I did this a long time ago. We just walked out on the front step and we said, hey, Jones, you won. We can't keep up. We can't keep up with the Joneses. You can't ever win that battle. You know, if our life is all about the externals, there's no hope there because you can't win. I mean, you guys have seen it. You know, I... I I'm always kind of mortified when I pick up the paper or see somebody on TV that was like a, a starlet when I was young, and now they're in their 60s, 70s, maybe even sometimes older, and you look at them, and it looks like somebody's taken a couple of clothespins and jacked their face back, right back here in the back of their head, and they've taken a bunch of Botox and fired it in there, and they got lips like a duck's bill and stuff like that. Yeah, there's two, all right? 
Because their whole, their whole reason for living is in what they look like. And I tell you, nobody wins that war. The, the calendar won't stop turning for, for any of us. And when externals are your entire focus in life, if externals are your only focus in life, you're almost always going to at some point or another be reduced to the question, why should this happen to me? Why should this happen to me? You know, if it's just about your money, the market's going to fall. And you'll be forced to say, why should this happen to me? If it's about power and prestige and, and popularity, eventually that will wane. And you're going to have to say, why, why should this happen to me? If it's about, simply about your pleasure, you know, and this was, I had a friend in my neighborhood. He went to uh, Six Flags, Texas this summer. You guys, you guys are way more awake than some of our earlier groups. Keep them trying, that's three. We went to Six Flags, Texas this summer. Now, if you know anything about what's going on in Texas, like the rest of the United States, they're in an extreme drought. And it hadn't rained all summer down there near Dallas. And the one day he was there, even though he was on a two or three week vacation, the one day he was there was the day the heavens opened up and it just poured all day long. And everybody that worked at Six Flags is like, yeah, it's raining, you know, because they hadn't had any rain forever. And he's like, why did this happen to me? Why? You see, if all we care about is this world, if this world is all there is, it's always going to rise to angst. Because whenever a downturn comes upon us, we have no other choice than to say that question, why should this happen to me? Now, I want to throw a word of caution to the Christians here. You know, Christians, I, I have to tell you, when we ask that question, why should this happen to me? We need to make sure what its motivation is. Because a lot of times when Christians ask that question, why should this happen to me, they're implying in some way or another that God has let them down. You know, so many people expect God to reward us for our allegiance. I mean, Julie Baer came up here and told us that if we would come and sign and, and, and come back and paint a room, and, and Craig told us if we give our money to the church, well, won't we be rewarded for those allegiance? God says no such things. We, we also say, God, why should this happen to me? When a trial or, or difficulty comes to us, we say, save us from our t- trials and tribulations. Why didn't God do that? I come to church every Sunday. I'm part of the, the worshiping community. But let me tell you this, because here's the answer to the why. Because the Christian gospel never offers such hope. The Christian gospel offers no such hope that, will sa- that says that you will be repaid for your allegiance or that your trials and tribulations will be taken from you. I know what life is like. We all wish we were living at Staples, right? You know why Staples? Because they got the easy button, right? Kids are messing up, bam, easy button. Some pumps backing up your basement, bam, easy button. Mother-in-law's coming for Christmas, no. <laughs> There's no easy button in life. How we wish it was true. But no amount of positive thinking exercise, no amount of tricks are going to take us away from the fact that sometimes we have difficulties and circumstances that cripple us, that knock us over, that bend us nearly to the floor. And rather than escape, we are offered something much better. Deliverance is God empowering us to stand through the circumstances.
That's what deliverance is. Deliverance is God empowering us to stand through the circumstances. Paul says in the, in the reading I gave a moment ago, he says this, what has happened to me? Now you say, what has happened to me? What's happened to me? He's first in line to be executed. That's what's happened to him. He's in chains in the prison in Philippia, in Philippi. That's what's happened to him. He's eating the rats and bugs and whatnot that walk through their cells because that's the only food they get. That's what's happened to him. And he says this, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What's happened to me is what's going to deliver me. Which is to say that the gospel offers the assurance that whatever happens to the Christian, and that's you and me, whatever happens to the Christian, the person who trusts God, they will not be let down by God. Whatever experience we encounter, whatever circumstances we walk upon, we can confidently expect to find Christ sharing them with us. There we are. I mean, that's what Mike said a minute, Mike Ransom said a minute ago. We can expect when we come up to a circumstance that there will be God standing behind us if we begin to fail. There he will be standing beside us if we need to go through it. There he will be standing in front of us if we need to be led no matter what we come up against. Whatever we experience, we can confidently expect to find Christ sharing them with us. Now, if I was a rapper... That's a walk-off. I'm finally glad I got to the point of the morning where somebody knew what that meant. My 945 and 11 group got that. But that, that's, that's like the best you can say, that God is walking with us through that. And so then Christ, go, Paul goes on to say, for me, to live is Christ. Now, now replay that. I've, I've worked on that one for a few years. For me, to live is Christ. What does that mean? It means that if we're going to live healthily, happily, we need to have a devotion to a supreme personality, a personality that is above all other personalities, and we need to seek in our lives to have that personality within us. And of course, that personality is Jesus Christ. Because you see, living with a perspective of heaven and earth in God's hands, if we live that God has everything in his hands, hope will not flee from us. Those of us that went to Bible school or Sunday school growing up, explain to me just when it was that we somewhere along the line in some difficulty or health malady or something started to distrust that little song that we'd been taught where we learned the words when we were three and four that he's got the whole world in his hands. Heaven and earth. Why would we stop trusting that? You see, if we trust in that, hope does not run away from us. In fact, the real danger for the Christian, if we believe in such a thing, then it is not in the things we face, the things that we come up against, whether they're depression or anger or uh, frustration with another person or illness or something like that. The danger is not in the things we face, but the temptation to succumb to their power instead of trusting in God through Jesus Christ to give us the deliverance through them to walk right through them. And you see, Paul teaches us that deliverance is not escape. He teaches us that deliverance isn't escaping from the problems, but the strength and the hope given to us by God to walk straight through them. And so imprisoned and embattled, Paul is encouraged and he cries out, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You see, the perspective he has is that I still believe. 
I still believe. I'm imprisoned. I'm next in line to die. I'm eating whatever walks through my cell. And yet, I still believe. And so, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Now, rejoice is something that we socialize, isn't it? I mean, you never expect someone to say, Boy, I'm really happy. Right? That's not something you come to your, do to yourself. I, I remember just a few years ago, one of our guys came back from Afghanistan. One of our soldiers came back. You think his parents let him just slip in on the airplane, go back to work at his job, and didn't say anything? No way. We were out there. Yeah, they're back in town. It's so good to see you. We're eating stuff. We're hanging out. We're having all kinds of fun. Because that which had been gone had come back. And it was a time to rejoice. It was a happy time. You know, when you get married, we don't do that. I mean, some of you got married by justice of the peace probably. But still, it wasn't a time where you're just like, oh, well, I got married today. It's something you rejoice in. Somebody ties cans to the back of your car, takes that car paint and paints all over. Just married. You know, it's a time that, that we rejoice. And I'll tell you this for a fact, because I've, I've done it with people here in this co- congregation at 11 o'clock and in some of our other ones. When someone has come to me and said, you know, Pastor Mike, I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That is a time of rejoicing. That is balloons and barbecue time. That's not a time to simply s- stay quiet. And what Paul says when he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, he's saying, I'm going to continue right along with you through the midst of all of this. I will continue with all of you, he says, and for your progress and your joy in the faith. See, I remember a couple weeks ago, Keith said it when he was giving the overview. Would not it be great, easier, if you receive Jesus Christ and straight off to heaven? I mean, put all the cares of this world behind you, not have to struggle with health stuff, mental stuff, money stuff, all that kind of stuff, and go straight to heaven. Wouldn't that be grand? And Paul's answer is, Yes, but it also would serve us poorly. Because who then would pass it on? See, living for Paul means that we stick around. And we do two main things with the rest of our life. We develop eternal values, seeing that the world is greater than us. We see beyond that which is seen. You know, Jesus says, blessed is he, and I would add she. Blessed is he or she who sees, who does not see but believes. You know, who, who is blessed is those ones that look beyond what we see to the unseen to see our God. So we develop those eternal values and we tell others about Christ. And this is the question to, to all of us. And, and this is, you know, the close to going home question. And if you're a tattoo person, this is the phrase to put on your tattoo. Right here, right there. Will the gospel stop with you? Or will it spread through you? Will the gospel stop with you? Or will it spread through you? See, I say stuff like this all the time. I do. You know I do. And I couldn't be more serious. And yet so often I'll have people, you know, like us, call me, text me, drop by the office and say, Pastor Mike, I understand that I'm supposed to tell people about God. But you know what? I, I just can't. I just can't talk to people about God. Well, let me anecdotally share my disbelief in that sentence. When I was 23 years old, I was a seminary student. And uh, in Denver, you know, people ski there. Fridays, we didn't have class. 
We were supposed to do something important like get a job or study. And one particular Friday, apparently I had neither to do. A couple of my friends were walking down the hallway it was early in the morning drinking a cup of coffee. And they said, hey, Morgan, we're going skiing. You should come with us. And I'm like, I don't know how to ski. They said, yeah. How are you going to learn if you never go? I jumped in the car, put my stuff in there. They drug me up there. They got me the rental skis, strapped them on. And I thought, you know, I'll just amble over to the bunny hill. They said, no, that's no way to learn. You can't learn in there. Get on the lift. They threw me on the lift. They skied off the lift. I biffed it off the lift. Got myself up, dusted myself off. And I've got my poles. I'm like, I'm ready to learn to ski. And they said, all right, man, we'll teach you how to ski. See you at the bottom. Poof. I'm at the top of Keystone Mountain by myself. Now, Keystone Mountain's not a hard mountain unless you don't know how to ski. One good thing about mountains, gravity is always in play. Always. And, and I'll tell you another thing that I learned very quickly after a few times. Really only one thing you need to learn about skiing is how to stop. You need to learn how to stop. And once you learn how to stop, the rest is easy in relative terms. I had never skied before that day. And within four or five years, I was an expert skier. I could ski a double black diamond. My wife can tell you how I drug her out on a couple. She's still in the process of forgiving me about that. But I was fearless in skiing. And yet just a few years earlier, I had never skied in my life. How do you become good at something that you've never tried? (laughs) By trying it. That's where it starts. You know, a number of weeks ago, I was down the basement of this church right here. And our consultant went around the room. There was five dozen or so of us there present in the room. And he simply said this. Introduce yourself by telling us your name and by telling how you came to know Christ. One to one to one to one all around the room we went. And I'll tell you what. There was not one talk that was as polished as the one that you're hearing right now. There is not one talk that was as complicated as the one that you're hearing right now. And every single one of them was absolutely and positively inspiring. They would have taken your breath away if you'd been listening to them. You, I know for a fact as someone sitting in the room, I was closer to Christ at the end of that than when I came in because I was absolutely inspired by the people of God saying, this is what I know about God. I may not be a preacher, but I can talk about the God I love. And I'll tell you why we need to do this because it's likely that someone you know needs to hear what you know. They need to hear what your hope of life is because certainly what is necessary is doing that because it's in that that you make the choice of whether it's going to spread through you or stop at you. See, our, our grandmas and grandpas aren't coming back to tell the story again. They cannot. They told it. Those teachers when we were children in Sunday school or even if we've just met it along the way, they, they're not coming back. It, it's our turn. You see, you have the hope I mean, I started with hope. I end with hope. You have the hope that millions of people need. You know about Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. You know why you live your life with him as your center. You have the hope that that millions know. Share it. You don't have to share it to a million. Just share it with the people that are closest to you in proximity and in relationship. 
you know, people have always have, have asked me many times, Mike, how is it, you keep talking about this, how is it that a church rises from being a good church, which we are, to a great church, which we can become? You know, and the answer is pretty simple. It's never through programs. Anybody that's been in this church, which has existed for 173 years, knows that if there's a program, we've probably tried it. We've had balloons in here and butterflies. We've run everything here except elephants and bunnies. Really, we've tried everything, okay? Programs aren't going to do it. But a simple principle will. Claiming that as your principle, that the gospel will not stop at me. It will spread through me. See, that's how churches grow. It's friends telling friends, Cousins telling cousins, brothers telling sisters and brothers, children telling parents how great God is in their life and how he's hope. There's no complicated matter to this. That's how the kingdom grows. And that's, to me, what this church and every church of God is all about. We simply need to answer the question, will the gospel stop because of me or spread through me. Let's pray. God, we just are so grateful that you have given us your love, that you've shown us who Jesus is, that you've allowed us to take him on as our life and living. We ask, oh God, that we might be fruitful in the spread of this great gospel to those all around us. In Jesus' name, let us not fail. We know you won't. Let us not give up, for so many fail for lack of trying. Let that not be us. In Jesus' name, amen.